Hello everyone and welcome back to Inside Art Scroll, where the books you read and the people who write them come to life. Today we are joined by Rabbi David Sutton, the author of the brand new A Daily Dose of Bitachin. Thank you Rabbi Sutton for being here. I should mention that in addition to this brand new book, you're the best-selling author of the commentary on the Beis HaLevi on Bitachin, which came out last year. You've written Embrace Shabbos, you've been a, a popular art school author for many years, so we're honored to have you here today. Thank you, my pleasure. This book is absolutely fantastic. Since it came out, I haven't put it down. I've been reading it every single day. I myself have gleaned tremendous chizik from it. I like the way it's broken down. Uh, but before we get into real heavy-duty questions about Patachan, and we'll, we'll put you on the spot a bit, um, Tell our viewers why you chose to write this book and how it compares to the regular learning of the Chavis Halvavis' Shar Betachen, which is what it's based on. So this book is really based on shirim that I gave in uh, our shul in uh, Brooklyn, Yad Yosef, together with Rabbi Ozeri. And I've been giving shirim in Chavis Lovavis for years. I would say, I don't know, maybe 20 years. Yeah. And when I started even back in Yeshiva, the first Sefer that I bought Musser Sefer in Ber Yaakov, which goes back close to 40 years ago. Um, they told me, they, I still remember, it was the Mashkiach Katan, his name was Ravalach, under Ravolba, said, do you have any money? And I was a, a wealthy American boy, my father's a doctor. Like, do you have any? I said, for what? He says, you, could you afford to buy a Sefer? I was like, you know, I have $100 a week allowance, it's not a problem. But he says, buy yourself a two-volume, Chovos Lovavos, the one with the the Lieberman with, with the translation on the bottom of Leif Tov, you should read it. Mm. That was the first Musa Sefer I started with. And it was very hard. This psukim, and he's bringing proofs. And it was, it was really a lean It was a hard, it's not, so Mixil Shisharm is a little smoother. Chavos Lavavos is really a lean And over the years, till I myself understood it, and I started giving Shurim on it, and my goal was to make it that your average person could pick up a sefer, maybe one day you'll put it into Hebrew, and just read it straight mm-hmm. without those, so to say, bumps in the road. Exactly. To make it, to make it you know, navigate through it. I still remember a mushal uh, you wanted to say. No, I wanted to just say that I found with the Beis HaLevi on Betachen also that sometimes it's cumbersome because he's constantly quoting psukim as proofs, and unless you're keeping track of the back and forth, sometimes you could, you know, lose, lose focus, and that's really what, um, what I wanted to say, is what I found with this particular book, is that it takes the foundations of the Chavis HaVavashar B'tachin, and then it brings it down into a very practical approach, practical ideas, lessons with stories, really every single chapter, which is short, it's a page or two, which you could read in a few minutes every single day, there's a real tangible takeaway, whereas when you're learning Chavis HaVavashar B'tachin, which is the source of, of so much of what we know about B'tachin, um, it's, it's a real limud, and not everyone has the wherewithal or the time to do that. Obviously, I'm sure you yourself would recommend, if you're able to, learn the source of course, of work, course, obviously. Of but, um, but as far as reaching the masses, this, that's what I think this book accomplishes. So the way it evolved was, and you're saying the, the each one standalone lesson, it was originally a six-minute le- cl- lesson class that was recorded. It started with a group of people. We recorded and started to get out there. A few thousand people listen every day to this daily Bitochen uh, class, email, chat. And each one was a standalone 
from the Chovos Lovalas. So you could listen to it, and you had to walk away. That was the goal, to get someone to listen for five, six minutes with a takeaway. Mm-hmm. But all those mini takeaways joined together, and with 130-plus lessons, it became a book. So it has the quality of your, you could just open it to any page and read it really? with a takeaway. Mm-hmm. But if you start from the beginning to the end, you're really going to get the Chovos Lovalas' messages throughout. So I'll tell real- you something else that I liked personally, a pet peeve of mine. I, I didn't find that it's just a stories, a, a collection of Hashkacha Prata stories where things worked out in the end for everyone and, and they live happily ever after, which very often could actually be disheartening for people who want to acquire Amun and Betachen. They don't necessarily want to read stories about how you know a guy happened to be in the right place at the right time and it all worked out. That's not really what Amun and Betachen are. And I appreciated that about the book, that it's not just those feel-good stories, it's really giving you the foundations. Can you talk about that? Talk about, first of all, the difference between Amunah and Betachen, and really what Betachen means. It's not just having faith, it's relying on Hashem. And then I'll follow up with a different question, which, uh, you know, which is a, maybe a misnomer about Betachen, meaning that everything works out for the best. Or, you know, I'll let you comment on that. So the first difference between Amunah and Betachen, <clears throat> that's a famous question, and I like to use the muscle as follows. Emunah is really my belief system. I believe. I believe that um, Art Scroll is going to put out my next Sefer. I believe that. I believe that. Right now in my head, next book, am I specifically relying on a Gedalia's Lottowitz right now to do it for me? I'm not relying on him. In my head, I know he can do it. I didn't tell him, Gedalia, I'm counting on you. I'm relying on you. That's just my belief system. Bitochen is your actually, it's, it's more of a relationship. Emunah is, the, Emunah is, I believe, of course, HaKadosh Baruch was here, it is a relationship, he's here, he's with me, but I'm not relying on him. I know my father can cover my mortgage. I know he could. Does that mean I'm relying on him to do so? So Bitochen is more, I'm activating my reliance on HaKadosh Baruch So I'm, I'm going to ask you a few questions, and forgive me if they're elementary, but I, this is part of the, the Bitochen kind of protocol. People ask these questions. So I'm relying on the Rabbani Shalom for my bills, to pay my bills. Is that normative hishtadlis to rely on Hashem for something? I don't know. Maybe Hashem doesn't want me to do X, Y, and Z. How do I know that what I'm relying on the Rabbani Shalom for is actually what Hashem wants? So Hashem told you rely on Him. That's one of the things the Chalvas Lava says at the end is that people make the mistake. They don't realize that Hashem actually commanded you. It's a mitzvah. He wants you to rely on Him. And he wants you, like Ravolva once told me, use your seichel. Use your seichel. He gave me the following mashal. I once asked him many years ago, um, I don't know, this is 30 years ago, more. I was in Israel. I'm a yeshiva bacher taking buses. And I could either run for the bus and make the bus, huffing and puffing, or walk to the bus and miss the bus. How do I know what Hashem wants from me? That was my question. He told me, Hashem wants you to use your seichel. And he said, Seichel says, walk. Don't run like a, like a, like a Meshuggah. Mm-hmm. So you have to use your Seichel. So whatever the, the normative Hishtadlis is, that's what you're supposed to be doing. And then once you do what's normative, then you leave the rest to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's the basic formula. Now what's normative is very, do you have to exercise three times a week or four times a week? Is it a half an hour or is it 22 minutes? What's normative? So you have to Ask a doctor, ask a lawyer, what's normal, what's considered 
the standard histadlis. My right. I had high blood pressure. My cardiologist said you should spend uh, four times a week walking for 45 minutes. I try to do that. That's normative histadlis. Now a person could do that and still not have healthy blood pressure, and a person could not do this. Yes, have, to. but that's the normative thing to do. And then after all that, you rely on Hashem because it doesn't always work. Right. Is normative ishtadlis to clip coupons and run around <laughs> to three stores to save $20 you know, on various items? Or do I go to my local from supermarket and is that considered normative ishtadlis? That's probably an exa- a very common example. You know, how, do you, how do you really know? So it also depends on what you're comfortable with. That means Rav, um, Rav David Salvechik said, ishtadlis is like an anxiety pill. It has to be that you do it and you feel you did enough. If you're comfortable with that, then mm-hmm. that's, that's pretty much an indicator. He almost says, Ishtalis is just a way to make it easier for you have, to have bitachan. So you have to do enough. It's, it's really very personal, you know, what's considered enough. If I, could, if I could sort of say, with my bitachan, sleep well at night, that's pretty much the formula. Right. Now, should you be doing more Ishtalis or less Ishtalis? If you're doing almost extra ishtalis. Is that a demonstration or a manifestation of a lack of bitachin, so, you know, on that's, some that's level? The, that's the Yosef HaTzadik when he says, twice remember me. That oh, extra the time, the time, right. The tw- when you do too much ishtalis, that's showing that like you're really, you're not... Uh... Right. I, another practical example. Yesterday I was speaking to a friend of mine who opened up to me. He told me he's $75,000 in debt. From various expenses, he made a simcha, and just uh, living, you know, the cost of from living is a lot, and he doesn't have people helping him, and he's, he's in debt. What, what could I have told him on a practical betachen level? Someone who's really, you know, uh, we'll say behind the eight ball, and he's Yarishamayim, uh, he believes that, uh, that you know, the Rabbani Shlolem could do anything. Right, but that's he believes, he believes. But Nebitachan means he's really relying on a Kaddish Baruch He's sitting there, he's talking to him, and he's, I'm counting on you. And he really is counting. I know people in our community, I know a fellow that's a, um, he's a salesman for expensive watches. Expensive watches today, Patek Philippe, these, you know, $200,000, $300,000 watch. And he'll, he'll make enough to cover a month expenses on those watches, but... Huh. There's no way for him. He gets a call from Saudi Arabia. He gets a call from here. Someone will call. And just, there's no way to know when it's happening. He says, I just wait and rely on a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And just, wow. He's just living it. So if you really, you know, live it and really, you know, you put your money where your mouth is, right. people like that do see wonders. I, I mean, people come back to me with stories that sometimes, you know, amazing how people just, things work out. Like, you don't want to hear those feel-good stories. But when you actually have bitachon, you'll, you'll see them happening. But I like what you're saying because the truth is people mistakenly interchange emuna, the terms emunah and bitachon, even though they're really not the same. The truth is that emunah really is, is much easier than bitachon. Bitachon is the harder part of the avodah of literally relying. That means if you're really relying on someone and you believe that they could and will come to your salvation, then your stress level should be very low, which leads into something else that you mentioned in the book. You kind of allude to mental health. You talk about CBT, um, and I know that you've done recently some background research on this. Talk about that and talk about how really interrelated Amuna and Betachen are with 
our mental health and peace of mind unrelated to the religious component right. of it. That's a very interesting point you're bringing up. I actually have a good friend. Um, he's a professor in Harvard Medical School as well as he uh, works in the McLean Hospital, which is Harvard's mental hospital in Boston. His name is Dr. David Rossmurn. He's a good from Bentara who learns in, uh, learns Kaveil Itim. And actually there's a story about him. I first met him through Living Amuna or by Ash's book because he brings a story there. He was a, um, a student in, in Harvard. He was having a lot of anxiety over tests. And the rabbi in the Hillel house said, you know what? You want to be calm and relaxed? You don't need sleeping pills. Here's a chavos lavavos. Really? And that changed his life. Not just did it calm him down. He read a little bit before he went to sleep. But he started thinking, and he wrote his whole doctorate on spirituality and mental health. How spirituality, that's the word they have to use instead of religion out there right. in the secular world, how it helps. And he was a doctor, still is a doctor in Harvard's mental hospital, and he's wearing his yarmulke. He wears a yarmulke. And he's not a rabbi. He's treating people with severe OCD. That's his uh, expertise and anxiety. He has a, a center for anxiety. There's many uh, uh, centers uh, around, around the country. And he's walking through the halls, and Goyim are coming over to him. Hey, rabbis, I'm not a rabbi, but they wanted to talk to somebody. Uh -huh. And, and the, the mental hospital saw that, hey, we're not servicing that need. And they, they gave him the job of opening a spirituality and mental health division in Harvard's mental hospital, where they're trying to teach the doctors and the nurses how spirituality can help and how if you have a, a belief in what they call a higher force, your life is different. And I use in here a mashallah I heard from Dr., uh, Rabbi Dr. Zev Brown. He's more of a rabbi than a doctor. A great mashal on CBT. Um, he says, imagine you walk out of the room now and someone just knocks you to the floor. What's your reaction going to be? Just unprovoked, what? unprovoked. Yeah. What Why'd do you, you what, do that? What else? I mean, just you say, why'd yeah. you do that? Well, I'm sure a little bit more emotion and feeling is going to be in there. I, I would probably, I don't know, scream at the guy. I don't know, you're yeah, very you'd be upset. upset. You'd be yeah. upset, yeah. Now, what happens if I tell you there's someone that just inherited millions of dollars and he's doing a test? And he wants to see if there's someone that he can knock down and he'll jump up and hug him. And if he does that, he'll give them a million dollars. Then what's your reaction going to be when someone knocks you over? You'll be hugging everyone in sight. Right? Hugging everyone in sight. So now, so what does being knocked over elicit? Being upset or hugging people? The answer is, it's all in your head how to react to it. And Rav Olba says that's why the Ramam calls Midos Hilchas Deus. Because it's all in your mind. The way you react, so if you start, there's a term in psychology which really the Chovos Love is invented. It's called reframing. Right, you mentioned that quite a bit in the book, yeah. Right, the Chovos Lavava says a muscle, which to me is the greatest muscle of all times. One of the most emotional, moving sights for me is the first bath of a baby. The mother's too nervous, it's her first baby, her first bath. She brings her mother, maybe her mother-in-law, they sit around this little baby, they put him in this special, special uh, tub, they have the water at the right temperature, and... I go back to my childhood memories. They didn't have Johnson & Johnson's no-tear formula. I remember when I still remember is the, the, the shampoo going in my eyes and like I, I was scared of baths. But these two people are the most loving people in your life. And who loves the baby more than these two people? And yet the child's screaming because a little, little shampoo got in his eyes. He says, if you look at life that way, that those painful moments 
our little shampoo and your eyes from your loving Father in heaven turns everything around. That's an unbelievable reframe. Rav Olba said that all psychology starts in the Torah. He says, Rav Yisrael Salanter predated Freud on subconscious. So the, the whole concept of mental health and mental wellness is all, is all there in our Torah. If you just, if you really saturate yourself with Chavos Lavavos, you will be a calmer person. And how are you actively using these Yesodas of Yiddishkeit to help people? Are you doing anything so, proactively? Interestingly, in, in our community, in the Syrian community, we started a, a organization called Simcha, Sephardic Initiative for Mental Health Awareness. And we're actually training Rabbanim now to use Torah-based knowledge to help people because today the, the mental health is, is a crisis sure. after Corona. And, and Rabbanim are being bombarded and they don't know what to do. So we have Rav Elia Brundi was guiding us. We have a doctor, uh, Steve Zimmerman, Shlomi Zimmerman, who, and he's training these Rabbanim with Rav Ruben Leuchter from Eretz Yisrael, the Talmud of Rav Olba. And we're trying to show how you can use this you know, Torah knowledge to help people. Wow, that's fantastic. I, if I may say, I think one of the struggles that people have with applying bitachen, and you really allude to it in the book, is that we're surrounded by so much seeming cause and effect. We live in a world of cause and effect. If I do X, you know, I'll end up with Z. We see people who seemingly work very hard and do well in business. We see other people who seemingly don't struggle so much in whatever area it is, whether it's parnasa, chinuch, health, whatever it is that we need, we see other people who don't seem to have that struggle and we ask why. And... And again, going back to the cause and effect, that seems to be the blinder that very often blocks us from seeing with clarity. Would you, would you agree with that? For sure. I mean, we, we base ourselves on what we see. We live with chushan. We live with our senses. So it has a tremendous impact. I mean, Rabbi Mill used to speak about it. You go, it's raining outside, and you say it's a miserable day, even though rain is the biggest bracha. But we're impacted by what our eyes see and what we hear. And that's really, it's really contrary to everything that we believe, you know, is what we see. And that's why it is a constant battle, because you keep on being conditioned contrary mm-hmm. to bitachan. Right, I think that's why also a daily dose volume is so important, because maybe there are other topics you could learn once and really just need a review to remember. With bitachan, we really need that constant infusion, because we're so bombarded on the outside with messages that are so to the contrary of, of, of what the real truth is, that we need that constant... Uh, well, the truth is, yeah. you have to say Kriyashma every single day. Yeah. And we need constant reminders because it says, anytime it says remember, it means because there's a force that's making you forget. Right. That's the whole, you know, it says that when you're born into this world, a Malach comes and knocks all the Torah, you forget all the Torah that you learned. That's what it says, right? Gemara mm-hmm. says that. Sure. Of Desla writes that that malach is not just a malach. He says, Olam Haza comes and gives you a bang and you forget everything that you learned. It means the whole world is just so counter to what we believe in right. that it just makes you forget everything. One of the things that I think <clears throat> uh, blinds people, and it's, it's really the million-dollar question of Amun and Betachen, but I'm just going to throw it out there for your insight, and that is that you look around and you see people who we know are very righteous. 
and live on a very, very high level, clearly have a higher level of emunah and betachin than I do, and the average person does. And yet we see them seemingly struggle. Parnasa, health, whatever the challenge is that they have. And we wonder why. Clearly they have betachin, clearly they're relying on Hashem, so why doesn't it seemingly come around for them? What, right. what do you, what, what's the answer to so that? that? Really, that, that is a very, you know, big discussion, which is really not to answer now. In the world, it's put like two sides. You know, those that believe that, you know, if I believe that I can get a gold watch now, it'll come in. And those that say, don't, don't announce that story because it's, it's going to be the Misleading. wrong message. Misleading. So there's no one size fits all. To me, the easiest, um, I don't like to use the word answer, but there's two, two basic points. Number one is the uh, Navi says, Akov Halev Mikol, when he talks about Bitach and Yirmiya. And the Mepharshim say, and then it says, Hashem knows what's going on in a person's heart. Which means we don't know who has Bitach and who doesn't. That's, that's mm-hmm. number one. Mm-hmm. We, don't, we, don't know, we don't know what's going on in anyone's heart. We don't know what anyone's tests are. We don't know what their challenges are. So it's very hard to say, he had Bitachan. That's, that's number one, as, as difficult as it might sound. Right. Number two is... Even though we know Tzadik Ben Munasa Yechia, and we know, you know, that Bitchu Bashem Adayah, that the righteous people are, right. are at least our perception yes, is... Yes, yes, that they have Bitachon. Number, they have two, betachon number yeah. two is the, uh, the Leshem, who's known as Rabbi Yasha's grandfather, but he was the Leshem before that. He's great Makubal, and he says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when he wants something to happen, it's going to happen. Meaning... Moshe Rabbeinu, if he would have davened tefillah number 516, would have gotten in. But Hashem said, don't, and closed down the heavens. So you can't play games with Hashem. And he says that if Hashem wants something to happen, he'll take the person's bitachon away. He'll actually make that he can't, that he's, he'll, he'll put, he says, he'll put morach bovavol. He'll instill a fear in his heart to make it happen. So bitachon might be impregnable, but Hashem could still pe- play with that. You know, he could play with our heads. And he could really, my question that I was asking you now, in other words, is the question of tzaddik v'raloi. Why, do, why <clears throat> do the righteous suffer if clearly the righteous have the highest levels? Again, we're assuming of Amun of, uh, of and you touch on tzaddik v'raloi in the book Right, that's also the, that's the question well, for Moshe Rabbeinu. No, there's no, no right. easy answer for that. Right, that's, 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 the, that's a hard question. Any takeaway that you want to share with our viewers from the book, some nugget that you think... The, you know, would be, would encapsulate kind of your message in this book. So the last lesson, I actually was based on Rabbi Adis and Rabbi Dan Segal. <clears throat> you got to wait for the, I think it's lesson 131 to get there. <clears throat> I was visiting Rabbi Adis recently in Eretz Yisrael, and we're talking about Bitochon, and <clears throat> I forgot exactly how it came up, but I was in a hotel, and I was checking out, and I wanted to make sure everything was smooth, so I went there at 8 o'clock in the morning after davening Nates by the call cell, and I said, you know what, make sure there's no incidentals, everything's covered, I'm done, just say goodbye and get into the cab, done, okay? I walk in, the lady says, no, you have another $120, $100 on the bill. I said, I covered it already. No, you didn't. The taxi's waiting, what's going on? So I go to my wife, did you charge anything after this? Oh, yeah, yeah, I took some guests for breakfast, put it on the bill. Took another 15, 20 minutes. It was frustrating. It was frustrating. Uh, we were checking out for Shabbos, and I, ended, I went to Rabbi Adis after that. That was the next stop. And he said, Imagine a Malach came down and whispered in the lady's ear, 
aggravate this man. It was a message from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Would you start getting aggravated? You'd know that's exactly what's supposed to happen. And he said it's a life's work to be able to live life like that, that things don't frustrate you because you really believe that's exactly what's supposed to be happening. And on that same trip, I went to have done Segal, and he said, when you say Sha'asali called Sarki in the morning, that means Hashem does everything I need. He says, you're walking the street and you slip on a banana. You know what you're supposed to say? Ooh, I didn't realize I needed that today. <laughs> That's, or you get stuck in traffic for an hour. I didn't realize I needed that today. Or they cancel your flight and you're seeing the airport for eight hours. I didn't realize I needed that today. That's a reframe. That's a reframing, right. But, but Ravada said it's a life's work. And that's why you need it every single day, because I literally wrote the book and <laughs> speak to my wife, you know? <laughs> I get frustrated. So you, you just, because we have in ourselves, and this is really everything, we have our heart, brain, heart. And what's in our brain doesn't necessarily, there's a gap from your brain to your heart, or Itzel Petterberg says like from the Shemaim to the arts. There's light years of a separation and your heart is its own creature, so to say. He says, but don't despair, because rain comes from the heaven down to the earth. Mm-hmm. And trickle, trickle, trickle down. And that's what every single day, you get a little water of the plant, so to say, every single day. Put some bitachon in your heart. V'yadata hayom that's the job. And I thought of a chiddush, v'yadata hayom means today. Yesterday's yadiyas is not gonna help you for today. Mm-hmm. Every day needs another dose. Put the message from your heart, into, from your brain into your heart. And that's part one of the yisaitis of, of Emunah Betachin is also worrying only about today, not worrying about the future. Yes, for uh, sure. Which is what you talk about a lot. That so much of the agonizing and the frustration that people experience is really about the future. They're worried what's going to be tomorrow. Right, right now, and right you have now your bed, they you have, have food, your food. They have lodging, they have a family, they're doing fairly well. It's usually about the future. And to appreciate what you have right now. Right. To appreciate Hashem's chesed in the moment means before I ask for more, I have to really say, what do I have till now? Right. Everything's great till now. That's what this book, this book opens the door to appreciating the daily kindnesses of Hashem and really achieving a life of serenity. That's, that's what this book does. I think it does it in an amazing way. I'm going to say something. I'm going to guarantee any viewer out there who goes, buys this book, money back guarantee on this book from having gone through it myself, there's no chance that anyone's going to read this and not feel different. I don't, I'm not going to say for you to say this because you're in Negev, but you're the author. I'm saying it from a reader's vantage point. Money back guarantee on this book. This book will change the way people look at their every day. It's very easy to read. It's a, it's mamish a life changer. And I thank you for taking the time and to do what you did. It's really a tremendous achievement. Okay, thank you. So thank you so much. Thanks for joining us today.